Hey Coconuts, welcome back to TFC's weekly market updates where we scour the net to find worthy financial news to be further discussed and expanded. For our first story, Elon Musk buys Twitter. We then run into Tesla's earnings. Netflix also had its earnings, but is it losing a streaming war? We then talk a little bit about insurance businesses and scrambling to adjust for geopolitical risks. And lastly, Japan finally seeing inflation after 20 years. Stay tuned. Hey, Coconuts. Welcome back to Weekly Market Updates with me, Rakesh. Anthony. And Jefferson. Welcome to a new week, everyone. Yes, it's the Elon Musk Yo, episode. What else is new? We do have a, almost an Elon Musk episode again today. Uh, we are going to be talking about Elon and his crazy Twitter story, right? Is it finally over? Or are we going to bring it up? Of course, with Elon Musk, we're going to bring up a little bit of Tesla and Doge coin as well. We'll then move across to Mr. Anthony, who will be taking us through Netflix earnings. And last but not least, Jefferson, who will bring us through insurance business, Warren Buffett's favorite business. And last but not least is the Asahi inflation. Is Japan seeing some sort of beer inflation? First, who is it? You. Oh, it's me. All right. So for our first story... Is the crazy Twitter finally over, right? So I think last night we all got that message. Uh, if we haven't bought Twitter stocks for an arbitrage, you technically can, right? <laughs> um, so that it's a $44 billion deal that Twitter has agreed to sell to Elon Musk. That puts it at $54 a share, right? Elon Musk will then be taking it private. Uh, and he mentions he's going to unlock the real potential of Twitter. Of course. Well done, Anthony. As a big stakeholder, as a big stakeholder of Twitter, Anthony, tell us a bit more about what you think about this. First of all, are you happy about it? Uh, I mean, I, I, I thought it could be a multi-bagger in the longer run, right? As long as they fix their monetization issues. But if you had to give me, what, 15% in a year and a half, fine, right? I'll, I'll take it. And it, it's okay. It, it's not no market beating, but it, it's fine. We can put the money somewhere else. Cool, cool. Yeah. In Dodge, maybe? Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> hey. uh, uh, it's gone a bit too far up. I'm scared of meme coins. Uh. I've I played like you know, GameStop, AMC. I've, I've lost money. So that's like, okay, enough. I should learn my lesson. Hey, but there's a working theory going around, right? That like Elon acquiring Twitter and how Doge can then become the new currency of Twitter. <laughs> and then, you know, Doge will no longer become <laughs> yes. a meme coin. Exactly. Happy days. Yeah. I, I, exactly. I mean, that's that, what I was going to bring up, right? There's a lot of theories around, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what makes meme. them more realistic than any other conspiracy theory there is. First, first meme coin to move legitimate, right? <laughs> maybe, yeah, I mean, yeah. in that sense. Maybe, maybe. Did you hear um the SPF episode on Bloomberg? The, the one on crypto, that, that was insane. You guys should go take a oh, listen. Yes. Tell us more. Tell us a big brief synopsis. So Rakesh, just, just to give you a background, SBF is Sam Bankman-Fried. He's the founder of FTX, um, one of the crypto exchanges. He's like the world's youngest billionaire or something. He's like 26. And he always looks like he just rolled out of bed. Right? Um, and, and yeah, he, he got on this podcast with Bloomberg and he essentially described a lot of DeFi as a Ponzi. Which is nice hearing from, you know, somebody in the industry. I mean, we, we can talk about it another time. Lots of interesting things to say, I think. But yeah, you should go and take a listen if you want to, if anybody's interested in like crypto and DeFi. Right, wow. Very cool. nice. Back to Twitter. Coconuts, you heard it here. Yes, absolutely right. So it's it's obviously still raw. We still understand it, comprehend it. We'll know a bit more. I have bought Twitter, not yesterday, but a few days ago, in all fairness. Because I thought nice. that this was going to go through, but... 
not much, really, really not much. It's one of my play monies that I just threw in. I was like, you know what? If I lose this money, it's fine, but I'm take the risk. Yeah. For, for a little bit of a 15, 15, or I think it was 5, 10% gain. I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, it it, it's going private, right? Nothing to analyze about the company anymore. It's just exactly. not tradable. I think that the question is, if you were a shareholder, are you going to sell um, now? Or are you going to wait for completion? And and I guess that, that is just a matter of price. If it gets to like 53, 53, 50, you know, you might as well take the money now and, and not wait for completion six, nine months down the line. I get, okay, I'm going to ask a stupid question. Do you think it'll go above five? 54.2 which is the sell price is unlikely so in, in most um, take privates it only goes above that if the market thinks there's going to be another bidder yeah essentially there's going to be another bidder because the, the board has accepted the bid now I mean it hasn't come through in the past what 10 days right so it, it's highly unlikely that anybody's preparing a competing bid for it Jeff any last words on Twitter as we try and unfold this story in the next episode maybe <laughs> <laughs> Nothing much, to be honest. I think you guys pretty much cover about it. But actually, I'm more interested in Tesla. Yeah, that is earnings, right? Yeah. It has, Tell us right? more about it. Sure. Okay, so first first things first, right? I want to preface this as we link Twitter to Tesla. I don't want to talk about Elon Musk for a second. But unfortunately, we will. When he was looking to acquire Twitter and all that news came up, Twitter rose, Tesla actually dropped in stock price. Right. And I was reading a few articles saying that, you know, um, and again, this is an opinion piece, but it's maybe up for discussion with us here, is that he needs to devote attention onto Tesla and Twitter. And these op- this opinion piece was suggesting that he can't. And therefore, right, that could be a reason why Tesla dropped because they've had a good earnings call, right? I will go into the numbers in a second. They've had a good earnings call. After the earnings call a few days ago, it rose, but then it dropped. Right after the Twitter news. Now, is that causality? Is that is that the main reason? What what's what's our thought there? Uh, we we'll start with Jeff. Um, well, I think that there's not there's not much causality, no correlation going on that front, right? So, I guess just more market sentiment trying to. I think at one point, like Tesla was was dipping also because people were questioning like how is. Elon Musk going to finance this whole crazy Twitter deal that he, he has put forth, right? So that was one of the things. Then I think yesterday was more of like a market move where where people were like, oh, now he's going to acquire Twitter and make it private. So like we discussed before this podcast itself, probably because his attention is going to be split. So not going to be the best like CEO in, on both companies, right? So that's, that's also a question mark of who is going to lead Twitter as well. Yeah. I don't know, right? I, I mean, I, in a sense, I kind of get that, that this is the people needing to find something to, to say and needing to find a reason, right? Which is why they say, oh, yeah, there's a reason and, and therefore it dropped. Um, and I, mean, you, I, I don't quite buy the, the split attention thing. I mean, he, he's not only CEO of Tesla and, and now Twitter, right? If he becomes CEO of Twitter, he also has SpaceX. He has the Boring Company, which is still growing. He has SolarCity, which is now subsumed under Tesla. So he, he's like, a hyperactive child, right? He just jumps from things to things and, and all of these work. I would say, you know, especially given Tesla's earnings, it has grown, it's, it's matured as a company, right? It's it's no longer at the very beginning startup phase where he needs to pay personal attention to everything. It's now actually a relatively big and sophisticated organization that, you know, he can maybe delegate a bit more of and then, you know, focus on new ventures and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't buy that attention thing as a, you know, coherent reason. The share price and, and financing Twitter, I kind of get in a sense, mm. even though I don't believe it. And and that's also because I think what the Twitter share price is 44 
billion, right? The purchase price. It's thirty three yes, totally. Yeah, yeah it, it's thirty three of it is financed by Musk, right himself, and of that thirty three, I think twelve is pledged. It's a loan pledged with Tesla shares pledged. So taking everything into account, I think it's what eighty percent of his shares are pledged to banks. So for Twitter, for his other living expenses and things like that. So if Tesla price ever falls and and these margin loans get triggered then the banks will sell it, it just snowballs and it you know collapses that that's reflexivity in action um but again you know loan to value is like 20 percent, so it needs to fall 50 60 percent before you even get close to a margin call it's not very relevant i would say it's just a nice headline to write cool now just talk a little bit about tesla's earnings right so their earnings per share came out at $3.22 when it was expected at $2.26. One thing I like to look at a lot is revenue, right? So their revenue was $18.76 billion as compared to $17.8 billion that was expected. So they were definitely above expectation. Um, and if you look at the increase, right, it was 87% increase from the same period last year. Right, so these are honestly staggering numbers, right? And what I can say and see here in Singapore is that I see more Teslas on the road. I really yeah. think traction is yeah, is definitely cheap, happening. Yes, I was I was I was thinking like you know hundred. I think I was reading there was hundred k for the lowest end, and you're looking at two two fifty or three hundred yeah, for the higher end ones. Exactly. Actually, no. I think the decent normal size is like 160 k. I was like, wow. I, mm. I expected it to be quite a bit more. Yeah, same, same. To be honest, I thought it was like somewhere around four hundred, five hundred k. Terrible. Um, and right, is this effectively an inflection point that we see? Right, and during the earnings call, they also mentioned right. Firstly, gross margin jumped to a record thirty two point nine percent of everything they make. Ninety five percent of sales is Model Three and Model Y. Teslas, mm-hmm. so we can clearly see who what their what their best products are, <laughs> um, and that's effectively what's being sold here in Singapore as well, yep. right? As if you take a very small sample size, I don't even know whether we can because Singapore is so small, and they expect it to increase by more than thirty percent every year for the next few years, mm. right? In terms of of Tesla's earnings and revenue and growth, I know they have a few things going on in terms of trying to create sort of a robo taxi. There was rumors around that. Or completely automated. I know this is Tesla bot that is looking to come out. Now, I don't believe they factored that in, right? <laughs> Into their forecasting. For sure, for sure. But given the current price now, what is it at? 800 plus? 998? Was it a previous close? Do you think it's a good buy given that it's height of, what was it? 1,002, was it? 1,002, wasn't it? Somewhere around there. You think it's a good buy? What, what are our thoughts here? Anthony? Look, I think you know, uh, Tesla has kind of proven me wrong. So, so I'm like, ah, you know, it's just a hype man, you know, he, he over-promises, under-delivers. But Tesla is beginning to deliver, so that's great. Um, I, I just think that, you know, at this market cap, they really need everything to go right for them in the next 10 years to even justify the valuation. It literally needs to be the biggest car manufacturer in the world and the world has shifted to EV. And those are two very high-order tasks, right, to, to get there. So... Yeah, sure. You know, it, it could work. He could be the winner, and you know they'll grow into the valuation. But your return at this price, even if they grow into that valuation, it's not going to be great. So I think there's just better opportunities out there. But respect Jeff, for you know operating well. I don't exactly have a view on it to be honest. I mean, well, if you look at like all the equity analysts, they were all saying that it's a buy, right? Mm. In some sense, or at least a hold. 
Well, I think that, you know, one of the biggest markets for EVs is China. And back in like, I think March 28, the Tesla Shanghai factory has been closed. Well, I mean, that's a big market share that is gone in that sense, right? I mean, they can go with just import the cars for sure. Um, and now they have Berlin yep. opening up as well. The newer one is Austin uh, in the US as well, right? So, and given the fact like EVs, you need a lot of different, like, a specific kind of parts that's required like all the lithium lead and what's not and all of which comes with the shortages as well so on the in the short term to me it seems like it's gonna be a very difficult one with like supply chain disruptions and it really depends on how fast and how well they can deliver. I use how well because like I know of people that have been complaining about the, the Tesla build as well. It's not the best like vehicle. After all they are more of like a company then automation yeah automotive yeah yeah <laughs> i mean well there's newer up and coming brands right or not even up and coming like toyota is coming out with their own evs on this front as well they've been hiring like tesla engineers and what's not so in that sense they are car manufacturer and all you need is just mm. to slap on the tech right to to make a difference yep. yeah so i think like what you say anthony to capture that market share of EVs is going to be crucial and key and to me it's a lot about a hype when you try to buy a Tesla right it's also to show off it, your it's wealth a, it's a status symbol well. um, yeah. yeah although I don't get the show it off is, it's well, become but a status it's not yeah, that expensive exactly. but yes yeah. you know, so, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we noticed there's more Teslas on the road I'm just saying yeah they, they, they have actually started selling in Singapore yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly I think for me right this personally is, is less on, on logistics or competitive I think where Tesla could really focus on and see it as a growth or even, you know, the market leader is in battery tech. They're not, what they're, I they're not the leader in battery tech. I know, I know. I know they're not right now. But if they try and if try and focus on that, because I know like their battery is actually one of the better ones in the car system, right? If you look at EVs across, yeah. they are one of the better ones in terms of mileage, in terms of usage, how often you have to charge, even the supercharge, yeah, for example. Yeah, but they get it from Panasonic. It's not all, you know manufactured in-house yep. so it's not Got their it. battery tech you know I mean they, they are trying to develop their own um, they, they have some batteries but they are yeah it's not that great I would say yeah maybe Elon Musk you know moves <laughs> another rabbit out of his head and he becomes the world leader in battery tech or, or he becomes the world leader in solar panels because solar city is there or whatever right but all of these are long shot yeah, or he becomes the yeah. first person to like full self-driving right all difficult mm. technical challenges maybe he achieves all of them one of that makes Tesla valuable but mm. these are long shot um, yeah. events and, and these Absolutely. are also events where a lot of very smart people are trying to, to compete you know so I wouldn't say that he's you know, for, for sure going to win any of this yeah absolutely but I think that this is the space to get market leadership in EVs I think if we can nail battery tech for cars specifically I think then you would really get the market, whether it be Hyundai, because I know they're setting up a plant in Singapore, mm. whether it be BMW or Volkswagen Group or Honda or whoever else, right? Toyota, as you mentioned. I think MG is another one uh, that is trying to, mm. to come up with all of this. Um, but I think I see that as a way to move forward in terms of EV. Um, and I don't know where the we we have a battery tech ETF. <laughs> there, there, there is, there is. Um, there, there are battery ETFs. Oh, there is. Um, yeah, there, there are battery ETFs. Um, and you will be buying like Panasonic, LG, you know, CATL, 
and lithium miners actually a lot of the battery tech ETFs tend to end up buying miners because that's the key resource in, in making batteries so, so yeah it could be an interesting look I think I, I would agree a lot mm-hmm. more with a battery tech play because that's where you get EVs working that's where you get renewables working as space power you know, compared to Tesla as a brand EV car branding play Cool. All right. That was a long chat on Elon. Yeah. Shall we move across to it? We love too much, man. Netflix. We do every week <laughs> because you're going on cruise I, I every other uh, week, not Jeff. So much, uh, yeah, but okay. Of course. <laughs> we are here sitting and talking about him. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Let's take it away with Netflix, Anthony. Ah, uh, Netflix. <laughs> what can we say about it? They have been in the news quite a bit as well. Yeah, they add earnings and after earnings, they drop like forty percent. 35% in a day. Then by the end of the week, it was 40% down. A lot of the narrative around their drop has been around loss in subscribers and subsequent slowing in. So the last quarter, first quarter 2022, they lost 200k subscribers when they were predicting a gain of 2 million and uh, 2.5 million, I think. And they are predicting next, for next quarter, a loss of 2 million subscribers. And and this is off a wow. base, base of 220 mil. So it's not, it's like 1% of their user base gone. But that's that's quite a big thing, you know, considering their valuation, they're supposed to be growing, even though growth is slowing and, and all that. So so that's going to be challenging. And, and I think that that's a change in the market story, which has kind of led to share price bloodbath. What else have they said? They said, oh yeah, we're going to change things operationally. We'll cut down on password sharing because I think they said what they have 200 million subscribers now, but the estimated 100 mil are actually sharing their accounts. So their real number is 300. And say we're going to cut down on it. You know, we are going to maybe have a new tier of subscriptions where we show ads and, and you know, of course, they'll sell ads and, and charge for it and all, all of that. And of course, all this is in addition to what they did in January where they increased their subscription price, right? I think it's, it's relatively interesting. You increase their price, uh, the subscriber count drop, and then they go, oh, oops, maybe you shouldn't have done that. But instead, now we'll just add ads. Yes, we'll, we'll just make it more <laughs> difficult, right? Or instead of cutting our price again, I don't know. Maybe we are thinking about it wrong, but yeah, it's a funny reaction to have, I would say. But I mean, are you guys, do you guys have uh, any in, thoughts? Yeah, in terms of dropped? 2 million users to drop, or 200k drops, yeah. right? Um, as you mentioned. What about revenue? Revenue Did that go up? Revenue went up. Free cash flow went up. I can't remember the figures because actually everybody just reported on subscriber count. And that's kind of funny, right? When they were, you know, growing subscribers a lot, everybody was focusing on their lack of revenue and lack of free cash flow. And now that they have, you know, growing free cash flow and growing revenue, decently growing revenue everybody's starting to look at subscribers again it's it's mad i think it's it's a bit of how the media is shaping the narrative here exactly right because that's that's my first question there's less subscribers but revenue is going up because of the price increase etc etc then technically my fundamentals is is price right subscribers is just i mean sorry revenue sorry not price. not necessarily right okay, because if the subscriber count went down but your, your revenue went up because of the price increase then you are kind of showing that you can't grow that much anymore because you can't keep increasing your prices forever whereas you can keep increasing subscriber accounts for for quite a number of years so you know i think kind of brings forward where you see the end state where, where you go and say okay fine netflix can't grow too much anymore let's be operationally more efficient right i can kind of see the reasoning where okay fine they, they raise their prices they made more revenue but they have lost customers right that, that's not necessarily a good thing because if you are growing and you want, think your time is big and you want to get more customers then losing customers is just not a good sign 
Yeah, true. I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. I think at one point right now, there's like Crypto.com is giving out free Netflix account if you sign the card with them and stuff like that, right? So, <laughs> uh, I mean, you can just sign up for it. <laughs> That's one of the ways that like Netflix can try to encourage people to to start having their own account in a in a more softer tone in some sense, right? Like partnership with all the different like tech startups, or crypto firms, and what's not. But I think that that aside, like the subscriber aside. The whole idea of having to provide ads isn't something that sits too well with me in some sense. I mean, when we look at Spotify, they, they did it up front, right? And then now if you do it, it is kind of backhanded in the sense where you are doing it because you know that the monthly fees is way too low and therefore we need to put in some ads to earn some side revenue. How would that feel? Because now you have like what? Disney Plus, you have Hulu, Amazon and what's not. There's so many other... HBO. Yeah, HBO as well. There's so, no, like so, Apple too small. Yeah, uh, I mean Penguin, whatever, right? Yeah, there's so many uh, other platforms that you you can uh, go to. So, like Netflix, isn't gonna be the only place that we we can get our source of entertainment from. And besides, COVID is kind of over as well. So it's time to go out there and you know explore the world. Yeah, then to just sit at home <laughs> and be a potato couch. And actually, that external factor could be a reason why they're predicting a two million dollar loss, right? You you never. Did they actually say why, Anthony? Um, not really. I think they they kind of said, "Oh, we are going to bad economic conditions, so people are you know trying to save, and yep. they, they, that's yep. why they cut their Netflix subscription." So I was actually going to ask, you know, do, do we think that this is really a sign of an impending recession that people are feeling like people at least people are not confident in the economy, which is why they are cutting down on unnecessary expenses in that sense, like Netflix. You got to look at ju- not just Netflix, right? You got to see whether Amazon sees, sees the same thing, like Hulu, mm. uh, Spotify, yeah, actually Disney, even, right? Yeah, Disney, yeah, Disney as well. If, yeah, we should see that. If they all say pretty much the same thesis or give pretty much the same reasons, then you know that uh, like this macro factor actually hold up in that sense. But, I do think that it's somewhat of it is an excuse, right? Like if you look at the earnings, the earnings. Somewhat, call, you mean all of it, lah? <laughs> no, I mean. No, no, there's other excuses. There's other excuses. Yeah, there are other excuses like account sharing, like you know. Yeah. Uh, what the pie isn't growing as quickly enough. Uh, increasing competition, and then the last thing that they list was a very generic statement was macro factors. Macro. Yeah. So, so to me, it feels like there's a lot of blame to be attributed to be attributed for the weak earnings on Netflix. But I do think that, yeah, there's no way to sugarcoat this for growth stock like Netflix. The earning results was just stunning yeah. miss, I guess. Yeah, mm. that's that's all I can say. Maybe it's no longer a growth stock. Exactly. It's transitioning from it's doing that painful transition from when Absolutely. you think about it in terms of like price sales to, to start thinking about it more realistically, um, whether it's like free cash flow or earnings and, and that just means that you're multiple titans. But then they also got to switch, right? Because that's that's my question, right? That's partly why you're increasing the price, because maybe they themselves know we're switching from a growth stock into value stock. I don't know if we, we want to call it that yet, but or whatever we want to call it. And for that reason, they increased the price. They just didn't tell. But they need to start, you know, sending a different message to this is the TAM. We're going to increase our TAM. We want to take more of that market share, right? It could even be just focusing on on other things, retention. Yeah, If this is the TAM, that, mm. that's not very good for any of the other streamers, to be honest. Because that, that just kind of means that you top out at 
the most at 200, 220 mil subscribers. That's maybe two times for Disney. Really means that they, they don't have that much more time to grow into, um, you know, and, and that, that kind of puts the, the dampener on Disney Plus as, as a growth stock. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, we'll see, right? We'll, we'll see in, in another quarter or two whether they can actually start pushing again. Um, they, they are trying to, Netflix are trying to suggest that it's temporary, you know, it'll come back. Now, we'll, we'll try to be more fiscally prudent. We won't make stupid, like, Ryan Reynolds movies again and again and again and again. We'll just make one. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if you guys watch any of that, right? But I'm like, oh God, this, these are just movies where Ryan Reynolds the, what, the yeah, my girlfriend project. is a fan of him so I sometimes know, I, I, I think he's a great I'm actor not, not but spent, every movie yeah. he does the same yeah. role and acts like himself exactly it's just like so <laughs> boring honestly he's Deadpool he should just do all Deadpool no, movies no he acts like Deadpool <laughs> and all of them right he's, he's rice cracking he's funny yes, he yes, takes yes, on yes, a shirt yes, exactly. you know? so, so yeah <laughs> and he gets paid like millions of dollars for, for acting like himself right fantastic Okay, if we can get it. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see, right? I think an, an interesting question is, well, if you're already a Netflix holder, what do you do, right? Are you Bill Ackman? You, you just cut your loss and go, ah, 40%, fine, I'll, I'll make it back somewhere else. Or you know, do you hold? You know, try hope for something to pick up. Like, what would you do, you know, if, if you're holding before this drop? Well, I I do have a slight position that says, um, but right now I will not add to my position mm. for sure. I think the kind of problems Netflix is citing, the solution being proposed, um, all of which takes time, right? So it, it's going to be uh, like you're looking at like couples of quarters to kick in if they actually pull it off. And which also means that on a fundamental earning perspective, the recovery wouldn't come so soon for sure. I, I mean, you can always argue that the management is just trying to send back for guidance for a big quarter to beat, but from mm. what I read, it's not going to happen. They are just telling us that, hey, you know, video streaming growth is slowing. There's a lot more competition, mm. s- slowing growth and deteriorating macro factors, which I don't buy for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't see much need to rush into buying buying Netflix for now, for sure. And this to me feels like a cautionary tale for COVID trades and also FANG trades. Yeah, so Netflix might just be the first one to fall and Maybe not even the, not even the last. So we shall nah, see. Zoom has fallen way 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 before this. Yeah, exactly. So like Facebook, C, they all backed up the same narrative as well. So it's just a, it's just a matter of whether that the growth for COVID stocks is actually just slowing across the board at a rapid pace. I think that's fair. I think I think on my side, it would depend on who these investors are, right? Like, what was your time horizon? If your time horizon for, for Netflix was two years or, or three years or five, five years or whatever, I'll mm. be holding, right? However, if you saw this as a growth stock that you were going to take out of the end, uh, mid-2022 or end-2022, whatever it is, I would seriously be considering, you know, taking the hit, not on everything, but perhaps on some, and then keep some going. You know, if it goes higher, then I, I'll get, I'll make less of a loss or or break even. At least that that's the play that I would make uh, based on two different time horizons um, for for a stock. Okay, so is it actually worth buying now? Mm, okay, yes, that's, that's a, a different completely question. Different question. <laughs> nah, so, cause that, that, no that, that one I'm more interested in because I don't have, I don't have Netflix. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think if you go in now, it's a bit of a, of a question mark, right? Because there is a lot of uncertainty in the next quarter, in the next two quarters, as maybe even a rejig of, of what's going to happen and in strategy for Netflix. Mm. You could see, I do believe, okay, so, I mean, 
I've been reading Netflix books. I think I read both, right? Uh, a couple. One is called No Rules Rules. The other one was, I think it was just called Netflix. I'm not entirely sure. And they are their ability to pivot and their ability to come up with strategic decisions, right? The way that they did and really focus and, and shut down businesses or rather shut down product lines or verticals to focus on, on something that will grow is intense. And they're breeding that sort of culture within Netflix. So over the top theoretical, because I'm not in Netflix, I don't know much about Netflix. I think and if they you did, have you, know, you shouldn't be telling us because up. that's insider trading. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yes. <laughs> then I would not be talking about it. But I do feel that management is, is right. I do feel that they hire the right people um, to be able to make these sort of decisions. So I do feel that it will go up. I just don't know when. So it really depends on your horizon. And this is massive trust, yeah. right? If obviously, if you look at exactly what we spoke about, it's... Well, I, I, I guess you close to make the argument that, you know, at the end of the day, even if we think that subscriber growth will slow, you know, linear TV is not going to win, right? In, in the competition between on-demand mm. streaming and, and linear, linear is not going to win. It just ends up mm. being, you know, who will win the streaming wars? And, uh, may, I mean, Netflix is, they may be losing a bit now in terms of growth, but at the end of the day, they are still the market leader by far, right? That's their economies of scale. And, and of course, you can think about, you know, whether Netflix is still a TV company and, and all that kind of stuff and, and question whether they will win in the end. But I, I think they, they are in a decent position too make a good fist at it. That means that, you know, if the narrative changes again and all that, you, you could make quite decent money even if you buy now. Uh, How much million. FCF do they have? Well, not not for <laughs> a 40 a billion company. I think that's their market cap. It's yeah, enough to start a new product. It is. Right, and you wait 10 I years for that new product to, to come true, right? Because that's going to take a long time. And you're still burning money on like, you know, creating content because you know, content creation yeah, has to keep it. continuing in order to keep up in your current positioning. Great. For our next story, Jeff, tell us a bit more about insurance. Yeah, so I guess uh, insurance business is one of uh, Warren Buffett's favorite sector. Yeah, so I think it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's an interesting model. So I was reading up about it a little bit over the week. Business model is very simple. So you're just calculating a reasonable premium that will achieve a cash flow surplus after all the claims have been paid and investing the collected premium to generate returns. So it's just as simple as that, right? There's definitely no surprise to see why this business model is one of the favorites of all the successful institutional investors. So if you know, insurers are often large businesses with risk exposure to multiple geographies and industries around the world. So if you see any unusual events like financial downturns, natural disaster, or geopolitical conflicts can all cause domino effect through this network. Mm. Um, I think, but one of the things to think about is that whenever this thing happens, then there's always going to be lost claims or there's always going to be some rules getting rewritten to keep up with the rising geopolitical risk, right? Mm. Which is pretty much what we are seeing right now as well. Right. So if you look at it, like effects of war, uh, standard exclusion in insurance policy so the Ukraine war shouldn't be of a concern to them um, but I think more significantly if you look at industries like aviation space marine time and trade credit they have the most significant impact yeah I think I brought this up mainly because you're I telling think us that not there's... to buy it like, in other words <laughs> no no no, 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 no these are all insurances that, that you wouldn't buy in, in yeah. the <laughs> at least as an individual like. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but uh, I think one of the things to think about when, like, because there's always reinsurers or insurance companies out there on that, that we all can purchase as equities, right, as investors. Mm. Um, and I think that, well, you know, rising rates might be a thing where we think that, oh, all financials are great, like banks, insurance company, they might do well in the long run and things like that. But from what I understand is that if you look at rising insurance costs, they actually have to recalibrate their whole operation model as well, like how they collect money from the different businesses, especially mm. from the high-risk businesses like your aviation and space. And then I was just looking back at like what happened in COVID period. There was a lot of loss claims getting triggered on all these industries and they all got defaulted. Wow. So the insurance company actually uh, suffered quite a bit of loss as well. Yeah which they have to claim from other reinsurers. It's quite funny, right? So you're just claiming for someone else for, for your insurance product. Well, you know, we always think that like all these rising insurance costs could restrict global trade further. We already see the effect that goes on behind it. And global insurance losses could actually go anywhere between like 16 billion to 35 billion USD yeah, across the world. So that's quite a lot. Yeah, to be claimed. But that's well. sort of like, yeah, when you claim from the reinsurance, even the reinsurers reinsure, right? Yeah, exactly. And it just goes so, down the line, right? Yeah, so no, they so, always so have the, to have the, 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 There's a bug that stops somewhere. So so the yeah. reinsurers can, can package it and try to sell it off, but they, yeah. they are meant to take on a relatively big portion of the risk. Yeah, exactly. So, but of course, on top of that, they always have some sufficient buffer to cover all these losses, yeah. right? But we, we have to start thinking about the adjustment that go forward as well because of the rising uh, rates that we see the cost of business having to start an insurance company or different policies in emerging markets will actually go up a lot more and then this will <laughs> of course cause some form of ripple effect throughout the whole investment approach that they take as well yeah so it, it's kind of it's kind of scary things that we don't like exactly think about on a daily basis but you know a lot of businesses requires insurance as well yeah and the past like 12 months you actually see the US insurance industry performing well in fact outperforming doing like about 15.6% again <laughs> yeah oh, wow. so that's that's really good right but Coming, going forward, if you look back at history, whenever there's a rising rate hike, they tend to be the first one to recalibrate all their, their operational models, the way mm. they price their insurance. And then they, of course, suffer from the investment portion as well, right? Mm. So definitely they will start charging businesses a lot higher insurance. And that's, that's also one of the reasons why you start seeing businesses having to uh, make their price, change their price as well for their products and what's not. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's one of the things to think about in, in when when we look at some of the businesses like aviation and what's not as well. Yeah, just just for thought. Yeah, got it. So wait, wait. so so the takeaway you're saying here is that when you're analyzing stocks, right? For coconuts listening out there, when you're analyzing stocks, think about the reinsurance risk. Yeah, I think um, not every industry you have to think about it, but like maybe in like tourism sectors or like uh, especially aviation, trade maritime, these these are areas that are more of a concern to think about the reinsurance effect, right? Yeah, I would call it the more of like reinsurance effect. And of course, when you try to buy insurance companies as well, yeah, these are certain things that you need to have in mind when, when it comes to that, yeah. Yeah, I think there's two layers to it, right? Multiple layers to it. One is on your insurance companies itself, whether they have the ability to withstand higher claims, right? That's one. Um, and that, that affects share prices and, and their profit, um, obviously. Um, second is, you know, 
on a more macro level, you know, because a lot of global trade requires insurance, whether that's you know, maritime and, and aviation to protect the transport class itself, like the ship or the airplane, or even trade credit, right? Because without trade credit, you might not be able, nobody might want to sell, nobody might want to sell the goods because you don't know whether the other side will pay for it. So, like, and they have a lot of trade credit um, insurance policies floating around actually. So, you know, if these premiums are all going to increase because of a perceived risk, a perceived increase in risk, then your, all your purchasers, all your shippers, all your, you know, airlines, all your airline lessors will, will also increase their price and, and that leads to greater inflation. Right. Or, or they you know eat the increased costs of insurance and then they suffer a reduced profit margin right so so it, it depends on the industry but you know and and that could have an effect on, on again their earnings or if not their earnings you know greater inflation and, and the broader macro picture right and I guess the last is really just on you know it's also a bit more macro but if there's no trade credit because people can't afford it then you know we, we keep talking about a bit of a liquidity crunch right then how does this exacerbate it because most shipments of commodities will definitely need credit insurance, right, or trade insurance to cover it. So, you know, how how would it even work? Would we be able to, you know, move commodities around, or does that impact the commodities market more and you know, lead to even worsening liquidity? And you know, we we have a GFC part two, um, due to a commodity crunch, right? So, so that that's a bit further out, but you can start seeing like causality there. Awesome. Yeah, insurance is fun. Just you know, it don't, is. Don't buy too much. <laughs> don't buy too much. No, but I mean, it's good to understand that, right? And and I think for mm. me, it's important that we take that into consideration if we're dealing in these in these sectors. I myself don't play in the insurance place or even those those sectors, maybe because you know need to dive yeah, into this focused. sort of. I am honestly, I am I am tech focused. I can't say I have a very diversified portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Jefferson said he wasn't going to talk about macro today, but he is going to talk about macro. Tell us, tell us about his beer, Asahi, and something to do with inflation. Hey, very nice. Yeah, let's let's end off on that note. Yeah, so Asahi <laughs> is the first in uh, in Japan to actually announce that you raise price on alcoholic drinks. So your whiskey, your beers, and what's not, they're all going to be more expensive. And well, if you look at back in, in the history books, uh, Japan actually has a long history with price elasticity of beer. The higher taxes on malt content drove consumers to low a cheaper, lower quality alternative after the whole basically like inflation bubble burst. Mm. And this is a situation that nobody is really happy about. And you know the tax ministry is also trying to fix about uh, fix it. So I guess all the salarymen in Japan, like including the tax ministry, are not happy about it. And the backup <laughs> option is what they call stringflation, which is you know how we see all the mini cans, mini acai beers and stuff. Then we yes. thought like, oh, very cute and stuff. Yeah. They, they but they all come at the price. Yeah, they all come at <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. They, they came at the same Cheap price. <laughs> yeah, but you buy because you thought it's a novel product and everything, right? And it's cute. But it's tough for people that are familiar with the can size. So people that drinks essentially know that, hey, this is a scam. Yeah, yeah you, but, you can't get drunk on that, man. Yeah, exactly. How to, how to go for drinks for boss with such small cans? So, so equate it with a small cup. Then, <laughs> <laughs> then it has to be whiskey and not beer. That's why you see that Izakaya usually give you the small sake. The small, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, all this means basically means that Asahi moves will be one of the biggest blow yet to the psychological war that is Japan's deflationary mindset. And the burst of inflation's impact on that way of thinking may be one of the reasons why the Bank of Japan, which basically announced another round of Japanese government bonds buying to defend the 0.25% Japanese government bond yield. So that's probably one of the reasons why they are willing to tolerate a weaker yen for a good while longer. So I guess you can say that's one of the merits as well. Yeah. So so it's, it's to kind of like stimulate a bit of inflation because that, that's been their goal for the longest time. I guess they, they you can say that they are trying to avoid an inflation situation as much as possible or like okay. trying to kill inflation in their own way. But they know that they can't keep doing this as well. And Asai knows that you know, the mount is not something that they can exactly control because they have to import it from somewhere else as well, right? The rising costs, like you want to talk about global warming and everything else, uh, war and what's not, it's all going to bring about higher uh, prices for the beer manufacturer as well. So it's a pain on them. And if you extrapolate it to the rest of the economy, everyone is pretty much facing the same issue as well. So inflation is something that is inevitable to happen. Yep. So... Yeah, I guess that's one of the things when you try to learn economics, it, it allows you to understand a li- little bit more about the real economy and how it brings about... Look at this guy like, putting in a jab. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, there's always an impact to how we make financial decisions as well and affect our behavior, right? So you can always listen to Reggie's podcast with uh, Jameis Lee. Yeah. On, uh, <laughs> Excuse it's you. The consumer uh, financial actor. Yeah. I think it was a good it was a good listen for for myself. So uh, do give it a listen as well. Yeah. Yes, okay, no, cool. definitely. I think so, that's So we that's have gone from plugging other people's podcasts to our own podcasts. Yes, that's I think that's honestly the way to go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, we have we have actually interviewed Jamie Slim, so that was that was pretty cool. Uh, right, the MP for Foshen Kang GRC. Uh, you can find that definitely on on the Financial Coconut, the main podcast. So please go ahead and listen. Love your feedback here as well. Awesome. Thanks for Jet Jeff. Uh, as we see Asahi prices in Singapore rise as well. Is that is that right? No, I don't know. Yeah, it's gonna happen. Let's, soon. let's drink less beer. Let's get more like whiskey. Or, or we just move to other beers, like you know, Tingtao or Tiger <laughs> or Guinness. You know, there are tons. Maybe of other maybe you have a short gonna have a shortage of Tingtao as well because of the whole China, China lockdown. <laughs> oh yeah, that's Produce true. Okay, then, you know what? Let's just stick see. to let's just stick to APB beers made in Singapore. So what was it? Tiger, Heineken, and Guinness, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Coconuts. Thanks for a good uh, episode, Anthony and Jeff. Hope you guys learn a thing or two as usual. And we'll see you next week. Bye. All right. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with me, Rakesh. And trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community Telegram group or follow us on social media. We also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered. To sign up, please click the description below. As always, we love your feedback. So share that with us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Thanks and stay safe.